There's an old story about Abraham Lincoln who went down to the slave blocks one day to buy a slave girl. As she looked at the white man who was bidding on her, she figured that he was just another white man going to buy her and then abuse her. Abraham won the bid, and as he was walking away with his property, he stopped, looked at the young lady and said, Young lady, you are free. And she responded, What does that mean? Hi, everybody. We are coming to you not live from Cedar Grove Retreat Center. And just want to say hi to everybody that's uh, in the congregation and also those who are watching online. We are so glad that you have chosen to have your family be part of our family today. When Jesus saved us, he set us free. The Bible says, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Those are the words of Jesus. But, but also the Holy Spirit comes to help us to live in that freedom. Because the Bible says also that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But the problem is that so many Christians don't live in the freedom that Jesus purchased and which the Holy Spirit is trying for us to, to experience and encounter uh, for different reasons. Some are, have just, they've walked in, in bondage for so long, they're almost afraid of freedom. They're afraid to walk in that. They don't know what that, that means. Others, they, they're, they're, they realize they're free, but they still think like slaves or they still act like slaves. And others really have never heard that they've been set free through the blood of Jesus Christ. We saw last week what freedom isn't. Freedom isn't doing whatever we want to do because any of us who have tried that realizes that that leads to a different form of bondage. Freedom also isn't being comfortable in our, uh, in our bondage either, of having our chains polished. And it's not also not based on outward circumstances or life situations. We also saw last week that, uh, that the Holy Spirit wants to free us from different things. He wants to free us from fear. He wants to free us from our past. He wants to free us from materialism and infirmities, and he also wants to free us from our prejudices. Today, we're going to look at a few more things from which the Holy Spirit wants to free us from. And, and just like last week, we're going to, uh, I, could, I could preach on every one of these for an entire series, but we're going to take about a 60-mile-an-hour overview of each one of these. And the very first of these is the freedom from worry or the free, freedom of anxiety. Every single one of us knows what it feels like to, to, to be anxious about something, to worry about things, even be, be fearful about some of the things. Not worrying doesn't mean that we're not concerned about things. We're supposed to be concerned about things, but, but that doesn't mean we con they consume us. Jesus was concerned about things when he walked this earth, but we never see him worrying. Because what worry is, is, is we're overwhelmed with the concern for things that it affects how we live and what we think and what we, and what we do. And the, the, the struggle is with worrying is when we worry, it's really saying you're stronger than God. What, I'm, what this situation is, this problem is bigger than God, so I'm going to stress about it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses worry head on. In this case, he's talking about worrying over, over what people are going to eat and what people are going to wear, which is the big worry of those, of those days. And this is what he says, and look at how many times the word worry is mentioned here. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. I love that, that Jesus commands us not to worry because he's not going to command us to do something that we don't have a choice in whether we do or we don't do. So that gives me hope. Uh, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not this life more important than food or your body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? 
What's he saying here? He's saying, you know, here's a big reason why not to worry. It's because it doesn't do any good. It's never, ever, ever going to be beneficial. And then it says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here one day and gone tomorrow and and thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after such things. And your heavenly Father, don't miss this, knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If God cares so much even about the the flowers of the field and the birds of the air that that are here one day and gone the next, don't you think he's going to care and take care of us who are his children and deeply, deeply loved? Paul puts it like this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Several years ago in Haiti, an army general uh, ousted the existing president at the time, and he had agreed to to give the presidency back to the to the people. But he kind of enjoyed being in charge. He liked being in control, and he didn't want to give it back. That's a perfect description of our flesh. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, "If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come." And even though we're under new management, uh, our flesh still likes to be in control. It's been in control a long time, and it wants to stay that way. As many of you know, I grew up in Colorado, and there used to be an amusement park near our house called Lakeside. It was in, in Denver. And my friends and I used to go there, and we'd go to the, the fun house. There was a fun house, and they'd have all these different things that you'd try to do. And one of them was it had a big record player that you would try to stay on and get in the middle, and you'd hunker down, and, and the, the record would start spinning. And pretty soon it would spin a little bit faster and a little bit faster and it'd be, be harder and harder to stay on that thing. And, pre- and after a while, that thing would be rocketing. I mean, going so fast and so fast and there was no way you could stay on. And, and the longer you tried to stay on, the worse it was when you finally fell off because it was moving at that point. And they actually had bumpers like about 10 feet away and you'd go flying into those, those bumpers. And that to me is really the picture of the flesh. So many times, if we're trying to do this in our own strength, there's so much inertia that goes on in our flesh that we can't stay there just in our own power. We're going we're gonna to lose to our flesh just about every time. What we need is we need to be anchored down. If there was something that day that we could be anchored down in and harnessed in and stay there, that it was more stable than the inertia that was going against us, we'd be able to stay no matter how fast that thing was going. In the same way, if we have a stability of God's Holy Spirit, the Bible says this, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won the victory because God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. And don't miss that. That's life changing. God's spirit who's in us is greater than the devil or our flesh. And because of that, we're not just going to receive the victory someday when we get to heaven. We have the victory right now. In other words, we are living from victory, not living trying to, trying to work towards victory. And right now, we have all the victory we need to make it to overcome the flesh. I don't have to tell you what addictions or destructive lifestyles do to a person. Uh, many of us have lived through that in our own life. 
Others of us, we've seen a loved one, we've seen a relative, we've seen a friend, we've seen a family member that, uh, that, that's, that struggled with an addiction or a lifestyle that was destroying them. Is there an addiction that you're going through right now? Is there a lifestyle that you're part of that is, uh, that is hurting you, destructive to you or destructive to other people? If there is, I have some really good news for you. There's a God that no matter how big that is, no matter how, what kind of a bondage, no matter how much that flesh has been in control, there's a God who can set you free. And here's an example of that happening in one person in our church's life. Well, hey, everybody, I'm Chuck Price. Uh, uh, about 13 years ago, I, uh, I ended up at Charlotte Rescue Mission. And what got me there was I had a terrible drinking problem. I thought I deserved to drink. Uh, I worked hard, worked seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And uh, I thought I had the right to uh, drink and act the way I wanted to act when I drank. But it eventually got me put out of a, a, out of a great job that I had and, uh, and got me spiraling downhill like I had fell off a cliff. I ended up at the Charlotte Rescue Mission after a couple of doctors had made it, had kept me in the hospital for a little while and I had about probably close to 45 days sober. And my thinking was so crazy I had been trying to drink myself to death. Uh, I thought there was no use for me left on this earth. But I believed with all of my heart at the time that uh, I had seen the best days of my life. And the day I walked into Charlotte Rescue Mission, we went by the, the uh, sanctuary in there and Crossroads had just gotten in there and they were singing and clapping hands and singing to the top of their lungs. And a few minutes later, they carried me in there and let me join in. And uh, the message was, is, uh, you tried everything else. Why don't you try God? I had drank for, for years and uh, I thought that uh, I knew that I was a full-blown alcoholic. I had sat down for three months and tried to drink myself to death, and it hadn't worked. And I thought there was no hope for me. I, I didn't know if any of these people could help me or not, but I was scared of everything and everybody. But I heard, I heard them say, you've tried everything else. Why don't you try God? And it stayed on my heart. And as I started to get a, a clearer head and a little bit better thoughts, in me, I, uh, I picked up the Bible and started reading. And I came to church the first time I had a chance to come to church. And I knew God was a, I knew God was speaking to me. And I realized that he, I had never tried, I had probably never read a paragraph out of the Bible in my whole entire life at age 42. And I sat down and started reading and st started seeing such good things. Uh, in the Bible that I couldn't put it down. I didn't know what was going to go on. I didn't know if AA could help me either. But I knew God was, had already been working miracles in my life, that uh, He had gotten me there and I hadn't died. I was still alive and I, fi I finally came to find out the reason He didn't let me go because He had something better for me. He had a better life plan for me. And all I had to do was to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and to take a few suggestions and, and listen and get some help with these problems I had. I was chained down with all kinds of problems. Uh, I had money problems. I, 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 uh, I didn't think I'd be able to get another job. 
And I came to church and asked the prayer team to pray over me, and they prayed. And the next day I went out and found a job. It was supposed to have been impossible for me to find a job at the time. I've been able to help others to uh, realize that life's not over. If God's first in your life, there's nothing that can beat you down. The Holy Spirit wants to also set us free from things like anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred. One day, two monks were walking through the countryside. They were on their way to another village to help bring in the crops. As they walked, they spied an old woman sitting at the edge of the river. She was upset because there was no bridge and she couldn't get across on her own. The first monk kindly offered, Hey, we'll carry you across if, that would, if you'd like that. Thank you, she said gratefully, accepting their help. So the two men joined hands, lifted her between them, and carried her across the river. When they got to the other side, they set her down, and she went on her way. After they had walked another mile or so, the second monk began to complain. Look at my clothes, he said. They're filthy from carrying that woman across the river. And my back still hurts from lifting her. I can feel it getting stiff. The first monk just smiled, nodded his head. A few more miles up the road, the second monk griped again and said, My back is hurting me so badly that it's all because we had to carry that silly woman across the river. I can't go any further because of the pain. The first monk looked down at his partner, now lying on the ground moaning. Have you wondered why I'm not complaining? He asked. Your back hurts because you're still carrying the woman. But I set her down five miles ago. Some of us are like that monk that can't let go. A person has hurt us in the past, and, and we hold on to that grudge. We nurse that bitterness, and it affects us. We're the ones that are, that are hurt from that. In fact, we're kind of like the, the rattlesnake. I don't know if you know this, but rattlesnakes, when they get cornered, they can get so angry that they actually bite themselves. What a picture of unforgiveness. What a picture of, of bitterness, of what it does to us, that we, can, uh, that we think that it's, we're harboring something against somebody else, but the person that it really hurts is us. I love what comedian Buddy Hackett said. He said this, I've had a few arguments with people, but I never carry a grudge. You know why? While you're carrying the grudge, they're out dancing. It's like uh, Hebrews 12, 15 tells us this. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Isn't that a perfect example of what, uh, what bitterness does? It, it causes trouble and defiles us. The Holy Spirit also wants to give us freedom from religion and legalism. In the movie and play Annie, Annie is a, an orphan girl who grows up in a, in a home for, for girls in, in New York City during the Great Depression. And the proprietor, the alcoholic proprietor, Mrs. Flanagan, she makes life hellacious for the girls. She treats them like slaves. She has them scrubbing the floors in the middle of the night and cleaning off the mildew and, and peeling potatoes. And, and all the girls can dream about is, is freedom, freedom from the orphanage and freedom from the tyrant who is Mrs. Flanagan. Annie finally tastes what freedom is all about when billionaire Daddy Warbucks invites her to his mansion. Grace Farrell, the secretary, shows Annie around and she is absolutely blown away by the mansion and she's, she thinks she's in heaven. And then Grace Farrell asks her the question, says, well, Annie, what do you want to do first? And Annie looks around and she rubs her chin with her hand and says, I think I'll do the windows first and then the floors so that if it drips and Miss Farrell basically says this, Grace says this, 
Annie, we haven't brought you here to make you a slave, to take you from one slavery to another. Annie thought Daddy Warbucks had set her free from Mrs. Hannigan's in order to make her a slave in his house. And there's so many Christians that, that, that believe that, uh, sadly, is they know that Jesus has, has set them free, but they really believe they fall under legalism, believing that, that now they're, God's love for them, God's acceptance of them is based on their performance rather than on what Jesus has done for them on the cross. They feel they have to earn their love for God. They feel like they have to earn their standing before God. The book of Galatians was written to combat this belief that so many people had. Even back then, Christians were, were fighting against legalism. And it says this in Galatians 5.1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. God didn't set you free from sin in order to put you in bondage to legalism. Several months ago, I talked about the danger of basing our relationship with God on our performance. And we said it was like a roller coaster, That because our performance is like a roller coaster, isn't it? There's times that we, we do okay, and there's times we're terrible, and there's times we're halfway in between. And, and, and a lot of times if we think, you know what, well, man, I'm doing okay up here, and God must love me, and, and God's going to answer my prayers because I'm up here, and, and God can, can use me, and, and things like that. So, and, but then I'm down here, and, and I don't even know if God can tolerate me, and we just do this up and down thing. And, and God's saying, our relationship with Him is not based on our performance. Thank God. It's based on what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. There was a flip side to this freedom thing that the, the Galatians were fighting against. And that some Galatians were basically saying, hey, since, since I'm now saved, I can do anything I want. Since I have my fire insurance, I can play with matches, right? And, and the book of Galatians also addresses this. Paul says this, says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Peter put it like this. He said, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. The forgiveness that we have now in Jesus Christ, it shouldn't make it where we want to do things against God or hurt Him in any way because we have that freedom. It should compel us to love God even more and serve God even more because the most powerful motivating force on this earth is love and grace. The Holy Spirit also wants to set us free from the fear of man and unhealthy expectations that we may have for ourselves. I'm going to go back to the funhouse. On that, that one of the times when, when I was riding on that record, I had friends on, on, on every side. And one time they started to fall off and there's that moment where you know that you're going and, and one grabbed my shirt on one side and one grabbed the shirt on the other and they went on different ways. I was being pulled different directions, but as they pulled different ways, my, my buttons shot out of my shirt like, like shrapnel. So that meant for the rest of the, the evening I had to, to walk around with, with my shirt wide open. Now in the 70s that was kind of cool to do that if you had gigantic pectoral muscles and you had a lot of jewelry. But if you had a chicken chest and no bling, that wasn't very fun. So I'm spending the whole day walking around, I guess that whole evening, walking around looking like I thought I was Joe Cool when in reality I was Lowell Chicken Chest. Sometimes life can be like what I was experiencing with my friends who were pulling me one direction and then the other. We can live so much uh, living by other people's opinions and the fear of man that we can be pulled in every direction and, and really not who, be who we really are. We can also be in bondage to our own expectations as well, can't we? Uh, there's 
healthy expectations that we have of ourselves, that we try to do everything with excellence. The Bible says that whatever your hands find to do, work at it with all your heart, is working for the Lord and not for men. So I think there's a good thing where we try to do the best we can, but realize we're going to blow it. Realize we're not going to be perfect. What an unhealthy expectation is, is, is thinking we're going to be perfect and really disappointed in ourselves if we don't live up to perfection. Another way where we can be in bondage to expectations are when we try to be somebody that we're not. We try to live like somebody else and be like somebody else because if you want to doom yourself to frustration, you've got a perfect way to do that. Try to be somebody else instead of trying to live in your own skin. A perfect example of this is David. One time David, when he was about to face Goliath, he had already told Saul, he said, I want to go out there and face him. And, and Saul, believing that he had to go out like he goes out, tried to dress David in his own armor, in Saul's armor. And there's one problem with that. David was a teenage boy. In other words, he's getting his, his clothes from the junior section of J.C. Penney's. Meanwhile, the Bible says that Saul was head and shoulders above anybody else in the whole country. So he's in the, the big and tall section going with the extra, extra large. You can imagine what that was like when, when Saul tried to put his armor on David. Here's what happened. In 1 Samuel 17, it says, Then Saul outfitted David as a soldier in armor. He put his bronze helmet on his head and belted his sword on him over his armor. David tried to walk, but he could hardly budge. So it didn't work out when he tried to be anybody else, when he tried to be like Saul and act like Saul. But when David just became himself and took off the armor and used his sling, what he was accustomed to, man, he took that giant down. God didn't create you to be anybody else. He created you to be you. And if you try to be like anybody else and everybody else, you're going to be you're going to be lousy at it. But you're going to be the best you there ever was in all of creation. So what do we do? What are the necessary ingredients for finding freedom? The first thing is we need to desire it. There's a story in the the Bible where Jesus encounters this man at the pool of Bethesda. He's been He's been crippled for 38 years. And what used to happen apparently at the pool is an angel would come down and stir the water and the the first person that ever went in the water, that person would be healed while the others would be disappointed. Kind of like winning the lottery or something. But here's what happens to this person. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? What a question. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. Then Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his desire and walked. Jesus asked a question that seems nuts at that time. He said, he asked the question, do you want to get well? Who wouldn't want to get well? Who would rather be crippled than, than healed? Well, let me ask you this question. Who would rather be in bondage than, than be set free? I've been in this ministry thing a long time. You'd be surprised. There's a lot of people that don't want to be set free for a lot of different reasons. Some people just enjoy the bondage more than they would the, the, the freedom. Other people, they don't know what freedom is, so they're, they're afraid to, to go and experience the freedom. 
But here's the question. Do you want to be set free? Do you want to be set free from whatever bondage that you're facing right now? It starts with desire. Notice something. He doesn't, he doesn't answer Jesus' question when he said, do you want to be healed? Instead, he starts blaming people and saying, well, I don't have anybody to help me there. And there's some people who would rather blame others than be set free. But, you know, this paralytic, he had a level of desire. But contrast that to, to David when he cried out in Psalm 142, verse 7, Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. That wasn't a half-hearted desire. Do you really want to be set free from whatever binds you? The first thing we need is desire. The second thing we need is departure. In one of his books, Tony Evans wrote this and said, We purchased our family dog, Cassie, from the pound a couple of years ago. We took the boys down there and looked over all the dogs. They came to this mutt and immediately fell in love with her. We want this one. After a family huddle, we decided she was the one. So I went to the desk to find out how much it would cost to purchase her. I took the bill, reached into my wallet, pulled out the money, and paid the price for Cassie's freedom. Now it's time for Cassie to be free from her cage. She was already a free dog. Her freedom was already paid for. But when the attendant opened her cage and reached in for Cassie to confer on her the freedom that had already been purchased for her, she began to shrink back into the corner of the cage. Why? Because she was so used to being locked up in a cage that when freedom showed up, she didn't know what to do with it. When we came in love to release her, she pulled back, preferring to remain a slave in familiar surroundings rather than take the risk of becoming free in an unfamiliar surrounding. There are so many Christians who are like Cassie, that Jesus has set them free, he's paid the price for them, but they, they stay in the prison. And what we need to realize is, not only do we have to have the desire to be set free, we gotta get out, we gotta take the steps to get out of whatever prison we're in. That may mean making a phone call, that may mean going to counseling, that may mean to, to, to get off the internet site. It may mean to, to join AA or, or, or any other organization that sets people free. What is it? What is it in you that you need to take that step? What does it mean for you to step out of the prison that you're in? Number one, desire. Number two, departure. Number three, determination. Listen to the writer of the 119th Psalm. He says this. He says, I will... I will, I will, I will walk in liberty and at ease. For I have sought and inquired for and desperately required your precepts. He's making a determination. He says, I'm not going to live in this any longer. No matter what it takes, no matter how long it takes, I'm going to be set free. I'm going to find freedom in this area or in my life in general. The last thing is dependence. The Bible says it's those the Son has set free that are free indeed. And we can have all the desire in the world and all the determination in the world and gut it out and everything, but we just realize that, that this flesh is really strong in itself. And, and if we're going to do this on, in our own power and everything, we're probably going to be doomed to stay in that bondage. But the great thing is we have a power that's so much greater than us that lives inside of us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And His, his, his forte, His job is to set us free from those things that bind us. So as long as we depend on Him, and, and here's, here's the, the writer of Psalm 118, it says, In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and He answered me by setting me free. God, as we cry out to Him and depend on Him, He can set us free as well. Bert Hunter is a newspaper reporter and photographer in Long Beach, California. He found himself on a strange mission one foggy morning. He was scheduled to interview and take pictures of a woman snake charmer. 
But when Bert visited the woman's home, he was surprised to find that she lived in a very nice upper-class neighborhood. The woman herself didn't look like someone who played with snakes. Bert couldn't help mentioning that fact to her. I don't understand why a wealthy, attractive woman such as yourself is engaged in this kind of business, he said. It seems awfully dangerous to me. The woman smiled and said, Oh, I don't do it because I have to. It's a fascinating hobby. I, I really like the element of danger involved, and someday soon I plan to give it up and spend more time with my flowers. I can quit this anytime I want to. While Bert set up his equipment, the woman brought in baskets containing cobras. She confidently lifted some of the deadly snakes as he snapped pictures of her, of her handling them. After replacing the snakes in their baskets, she cautioned, Be especially quiet now and don't make any quick moves. I'm going to take out my newest snake. It isn't completely used to me yet. The woman lifted out the new bat snake out of the basket and then suddenly stiffened. Something's wrong, she whispered to the photographer. I'm going to have to put him back. She opened the basket slowly and began to lower the snake into it. But with a lightning-fast jab, the cobra buried his fangs into the woman's wrist. The woman forced the snake into the basket and clutched her arm. She spoke calmly to Bert and she said, Go quickly to my medicine chest and bring the snake serum. Hurry! Trembling, Bert ran to the restroom and returned with the precious vial. The woman instructed him to take out the syringe and fit the needle on it. Then she told him how to withdraw the serum. Bert struggled with the unfamiliar task. His hands were badly shaking. He, he braced his arm against the table and he tried desperately to get the needle into the vial. Suddenly he, he gasped. His clumsy fingers had crushed the tiny bottle. The serum, now useless, dripped through his fingers and onto the floor. Tell me, he urged, where can I get another? In a quiet voice, she responded, I was my last one. The woman's agony ended when she died a few hours later. Bert's, however, continued for the rest of his life. He often recalled what the woman said that day. I can quit anytime I want to. The slave girl asked, what does it mean to be free? Abraham Lincoln said, it means you're free. Does that mean that I can say whatever I want to say? And Lincoln said, yes, my dear. You can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean that I can be whatever I want to be? Lincoln said, yes, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? And he said, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. The girl with tears streaming down her face said, then I'll go with you.